It's a brand new year. Is it the same old you? We've been talking about, over the last several weeks, ways that we can leave some of the junk that we've been carrying around for a long time in last year and start this year fresh. Today I want to talk about an area of life that I know a lot of us are dealing with. I know a lot of us are struggling with. Today I want to talk about the same old financial bondage. You know, America may be the land of the brave and the free, but America is also the land of financial bondage. Think about this. The average American household has $15,788 worth of credit card debt. That's just the average family. Six and a half, nine, or $609.8 million credit cards are in the hands of U.S. consumers. That's an average of 3.5 per person. Average APR in new credit accounts is 14.35. And that's as of November 2010. And I'll tell you, it's gone up. I just got something last week in the mail. One of these things saying, you've been chosen for the, a 4.99% APR for the next six months. And I turn it over, find it goes up to 19% after the six month. U.S. consumer debt, 2.42 million. Think about this, that Americans make over $1.5 trillion worth of credit card purchases every year. And again, from a report in November 2010, it's estimated that before this financial crisis is over, that one out of every 100 households will declare bankruptcy. These are challenging times. But my question for you is, are you going to carry your financial bondage into 2011? Now, I know a lot of thinking right now, Pastor Pete, you, you, I don't care what you say today. It's not going to change my situation. I'm in desperate situation. I'm really in financial bondage. Now, I know that may be true for a lot of you. And believe me, as your pastor, I love you. And I wish that there was some kind of prayer that, that I could pray that would reverse your financial challenges right now. All of you who are experiencing them, I know many of you are. But you know that I don't have that power. But what we want to focus on this morning is this. We want to focus on this idea of financial bondage. Not financial hardship. That's going to come. I've had financial hardship in my life Numerous times. It's come and it's gone. I want to talk about today's financial bondage. See, financial bondage is that, that spirit within you that is full of pessimism and darkness. Your joy has been robbed. There's no spark. You're kind of spiraling down into discouragement. That's financial bondage. And there is something that we can do to break that. And if you're in financial bondage today, I mean, it's really got a hold of you emotionally. It's got a hold of you physically. Your stomach's all upset and your mind's constantly thinking about it. It's got a hold of you spiritually. Then I want to give you some hope today. I want to give you some help today. Now, if you're in this situation and you want to leave the bondage, not, not the circumstance, that's going to take time, but the bondage back in 2010, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to wise up. You've got to wise up about money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Is there a more descriptive verse in the Bible for the day that we're living in, the times that we're living in, huh? Money is evil if we don't handle it properly, if we don't have the right relationship with it. It in itself is just, is just a, a method of, of commerce. There's nothing evil about it. It's our attitude. It's our relationship with it. And it says some people eager for money, not just the cash in the pocket, not the wad of bills, but eager for all the things that money buys, all the materialism. Some people have invested so much of themselves in pursuing money and pursuing materialism that they've even wandered from the faith. It's hurt their relationship with God. And the result is that they've pierced themselves with many griefs. That's what financial bondage is. That's that piercing of our soul, our spirit, our emotion with so many griefs. Here's some deadly signs of financial bondage. Maybe you're wondering whether you're really in it or not. Or maybe you've been kind of living in denial. Well, are your finances causing conflicts in your relationships? Those of you who are married, is that something that you're always squabbling about? Are you placing normal daily expenditures on credit cards? Do you pay a bill from one month to another? Well, this month I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my visa bill. And I'll, I'll skip the MasterCard and Discover. Next, next month I'll hit the, the MasterCard. Then the next month I'll, I'll hit the, the uh, Discover card and I'll just kind of keep rotating them because we can't keep up with them all. Do you take cash advance on credit cards to pay other bills like your electric bill, your water bill? Are you aware of how much you even owe? Do you really know how much debt you have? Are you frequently paying minimum payments, over limit fees, late charges? Are you beginning to even entertain certain dishonest thoughts about your financial position in life and and how you're going to respond to it? As a Christ follower... Do you find it difficult or even impossible to tithe or to give to the Lord? All deadly signs of financial bondage. Got to wise up. Got to stop the pain. Starting today, you've got to start thinking differently about money. You've got to start building a different relationship with materialism. Because that's the stuff that's pulling you deeper and deeper into the abyss. You've got to change. You've got to stop the pain. You've got to wise up. You've got to learn to look at it differently and handle it differently. Now again, can't change your financial position overnight. But here's some things you can do to start breaking the bondage that it's holding you in. First of all, build a budget. Build a budget. I know this seems elementary, but most people don't do it. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. Look what it says. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. In other words, a secure financial house. A house that has its, its financial matters in order. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by accident. It's wisdom. There's thought put into it. There's understanding. There are steps that are being taken to make it a financially stable house. The end result is, when we're living that way, then yes, 
wonderful things we are able to purchase. Personal finance, Dave Ramsey says, economic guru, is 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. In other words, it's doing something. It's being disciplined with our money. Now, look at the benefits of a budget. It'll let you control your money instead of your money controlling you. A definition of financial bondage could be just that, that money's controlling you. Controlling you emotionally, controlling you relationally, controlling you spiritually, controlling you physically. It's got control over you. You're not managing it. It's managing you every day. A budget will help that to reverse. It'll tell you if you're living beyond your means. It'll help you to, it'll reveal where you're spending too much money and where you're spending money at all. All of us have had this experience where we get paid and it's payday, we go down, cash a check, put the money in the bank, and all of a sudden about a week later, we're going, where did all our money go? What happened to it? What do you mean there's nothing left in the checkbook? See, it's because we don't know where it's going. There is, there's no structure there. But a budget helps you to see where you're spending and it helps identify especially areas that you're overspending in that you can kind of pull back and, and readjust so that you've got more money. Helps your entire family focus on a common goal. This is a family thing. See what happens in so many families, especially in marriages, is you got one person who's out there spending like crazy and the other person who's sitting around doing all the worrying going... How am I ever going to make these ends meet? How is this going to work? So you get together and you build a budget together. And you can even bring, if you have children, you can even bring the kids into the whole thing and say, we're going to build a budget. We're not going to be in financial bondage anymore. Look, here's our goal. And we're going to, we're going to get out of debt. And we're going, to, we're going to get our house in order. And then everybody's working together because there's something visually they can track with instead of just some kind of obscure idea out there. It'll definitely improve your relationships. Do you realize that the vast majority of divorces are caused by financial issues? Or at least that has a significant part in the breakdown of the relationship. It'll improve your relationships. But you've got to build a budget. You've got to have a plan. It's through wisdom. It's through understanding. It's through knowledge that houses become financially secure environments. Now I want to help you. After the service today... You can go by the Welcome Center, and here's a budget worksheet. It's right here. All you got to do is go by and pick one up, take it home this afternoon, and, and, and sit down and, and start filling it in. If you're a family, gather the whole family together, say, hey, let's put the numbers in. This will help you right away start to understand what's going on with your money, where it's going, why it's going there, and how you can change your relationship with it and start breaking the bondage that it has you under. Then you've got to power down your debt. Now, Romans 13.7 says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, pay your revenue. In other words, if you've got a balance on credit cards, pay it. If you've got a school loan, pay it. If you've got a car loan, pay it. If you've got a mortgage, pay it. As Christians, we are commanded in Scripture to be stewards and to be faithful and be honest in our dealings where credit and where money extends. Now, look at this. Here's why you've got to power them down. If the average American carried $8,400 in credit card debt with a 2% payment every month at an annual APR of 15%, it would take 30 years to pay that $8,400 off, and it would cost $13,000 just in interest, more than even the original debt. 
That's why you've got to power them down. If you're just making those minimum payments, you're getting nowhere. You're getting further behind. You're just paying the bank interest. You're paying the credit company interest, and you're going to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars if you just make the minimum payment. So you've got to power it down. What does that look like? Here's what you do. Take whatever credit card, whatever loan, whatever debt you have, take the smallest balance and target it first. Pay the minimum payments on all the other ones. Take the smallest one and target that. And just put everything, now you're making a budget, so now you know where your money is, and now you know where you've been wasting money. Now you'll find money, and you will find money if you do a budget. Now you can take that money that you've discovered by doing your budget and, and target that smallest debt and just keep paying it down putting everything you can towards it until it's gone. Then when it's gone, take the money you were using to power it down plus the minimum payment that you were making on the next smallest budget to get combine those together and pay that one down and just repeat the process. Now what this is going to do for you, as Dave Ramsey says, he calls it snowballing by the way, it's this, is you need some quick wins in order to stay pumped up. When you start knocking off the easier debts, you will see results and you will stay motivated to dump all your debt. See, that's what this powering down your debt does. You get that little one taken care of, you go, wow, I don't know that MasterCard anymore. Wow, I don't know Visa anymore. I don't know Sears anymore. I don't know JCPenney, whatever it is, Macy's. I don't know that anymore. Now, now I'm hitting this one. And before you know it, that one's paid off. And you go, wow, that one's paid off too. I got two of them paid off now. And you see, you build momentum for yourself. And it's breaking the bondage emotionally and spiritually and physically that you're living under because now you are seeing progress. You've done your budget. Now you know where everything's at and you've got some control in your life. Now you're starting to power down those debts and life is now coming back to you. You are being more controlled. Then you've got to save and you've got to invest. Proverbs 13.11 Dishonest money dwindles away. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, we have a lot of young folks in here today. And I want to really reach out to you right now. And I want to, if you will get this right now, early in your life, you're going to be so far ahead of probably where your parents and grandparents and, and the rest of us are. There's a thing called compound interest. And here's how it works. Let's take Amy. She's 22 years old. And Amy graduates from college gets a job, and she decides to put $300 per month away in an account bearing 10%. At 28, she gets married, and she starts a family. And she wants to be a full-time mom. She wants to stay at home. Now, in, over the six years of investing $300 a month, she's put $21,600 of her own money in the, in the investment. Now, at that point in her life, 28 years old, she becomes a full-time uh, house provider and, and, and house care provider, and now she doesn't put another cent in it ever. By the age 65, she's earned a million dollars. It'll be a million dollars with a $21,600 investment. Now, watch this. Jason is 31 years old. He decides to do the same thing. And Jason puts $300 away a month, same account, 10% interest, it will take Jason 34 years of giving $300 a month in order to have the same yield of a million dollars by age 65. Amy's put $21,600 into it. Jason's put $126,000 into it. See, why? Because Amy's had more time. 
to let her money compound. And so you got to say, now, even Jason gets a great yield, even on $126,000, a million bucks, I'll take that any day. And no matter whether you're 19 today, 18, or you're 20, or 30, or 40, or 50, or 60, this principle still works. Now, it won't work as quickly, obviously, the older we are, but it will still work. But the idea is, what Proverbs says, little by little it will grow if we save, if we invest it, whatever we can. And part of your budget should be some savings. And you just watch. It'll start growing and growing and growing. Pretty soon, you'll look at that balance. You'll say, I had no idea I had that much. Now, don't you go out and buy the big screen TV with it. <laughs> discipline. Discipline. 20% head knowledge, 80% behavior. Then you got to get God working with you. Get God working with you. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crop. Honor the Lord with your wealth. In other words, put God first in this area of your life. Honor Him with your wealth. The first fruits, it's not the spare change. It's not what we got left over in our budget. It's budget line number one, God. This is, I'm going to honor God with my will. Got to get him working with us. They say, now no, wait a minute, are you saying that God will work against me? Well, there are certain circumstances and situations where that is exactly what happens. Let me share one with you. The book of Haggai. If you have your Bible, open your Bible to it. I'll tell you where it's at because it's a very small book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, almost at the end. So if you find the book of Matthew... Then go back towards the front of your Bible, three books. You got Matthew, then you have Malachi going towards the front. Then you have Zechariah, then you have Haggai. Go to chapter 1. Now let me, as you're finding that, let me set the background. In about 608 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invades the land of Judah, Israel. And he overthrows them. Burns down the temple, destroys the city, scatters all the Jewish people all over the Babylonian Empire. The choicest of them, the, the, the most bright, the most handsome, he took actually to the city of Babylon where he was training them to serve him and be governors over that territory. Some of those were like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You heard those stories? Alright, so anyhow, they go into exile. Now, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that this would happen, but he prophesied that the exile would only last 70 years long. And sure enough, at the end of the 70 years, they approached the king, now Persia, because Persia has now conquered Babylon, and the king's name is Cyrus. And they approach him, and they ask his permission to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple so that the people who are scattered all around the world can come back and rebuild their country. And Cyrus, moved by God, allows them to leave and do that. Now, when we reach the book of Haggai, chapter 1, it's 18 years after he's released them to come back and build God's house again, to build the church again. Look what happens. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a room? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. What did Proverbs say? Honor the Lord with your wealth. He goes on to say, You expect it much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, listen to this. He says, What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. What's the story? God had miraculously touched the heart of a pagan king and allowed them to leave captivity, go back and build the temple of God. That's the purpose. That's why they left. 18 years later, the temple's still a ruin. But they're living in pretty nice houses. They're paneled. They've got all the latest technology of whatever it was that day. And God's saying, what about my house? You haven't honored me. And so he said, you know, have you noticed something going on lately? Have you noticed that you're planting all these crops and yet you're always hungry? You don't have enough to eat. Have you noticed that you got all these vineyards but you don't have enough to drink? Have you noticed that you got some clothes but they're getting all tattered down? It's cold now, isn't it? Aren't you cold? He said, have you noticed that you, you've earned wages? But you're like putting them in a purse that holes in it because you just never have enough. There's never anything there. You know, some of us are living right there today. And believe me, I've lived there where some of you are living. Because God has been dealing with you. And God has been challenging you to honor him with your wealth. And, and you have been taking care of your own affairs instead. And, and God is trying to correct your path. It's not punishment. It's correcting our path so that he is free to bless us. We're making money, but man, the washing machine broke last week. The week before, the alternator in the car went out. Hmm, God said, huh, interesting. See, we need to honor God. We need to get God working with us. Now, how do we get God working with us? First of all, be content. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. First thing God says is just be content. God says, look at what I've already given you. And when we start looking at that, it's a lot, isn't it? And even if we are prone to think, no, I don't really have much, I'm kind of a poor person, comparatively speaking, with other people of the world, every one of us here are rich today. And so, God said, number one, if we want to get God working on our side, let's be content with what he's already given us. Because he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What God is saying is this. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you what you need, and I'm going to give you what you're able to handle. People all the time say to me, boy, if God let me win that publisher's house clearing sweepstakes, Pastor, I'd tithe on that. I'd say, are you tithing now? No, you won't then neither. That's how it works. And how do we express contentment to God? With thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what I have. And not going to God all the time. God, I sure would like to have that car. God, I sure want that house. God, I sure want this. I sure want God, thank you for what I've got. Now, I'm not saying this to bring credit to myself. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sharing. Uh, every time, now, these days, I go to the gas station, and I fill my car up. I stand at the pump, and I thank God. I get to thank you, God, for this tank of gas I have today. 
And I thank God for the food when I go to the grocery store and I'm walking out to the car and putting the groceries. I say, thank you, God, I have these groceries. See, be content with what we have. That moves God. God says that, yeah, okay, I get it now. I see where your heart is now. Your heart, your soul is with me. Then we've got to trust God. That's the next step. 1 Timothy 6.17, Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, we've learned that, how uncertain wealth is, haven't we? But to put their hope in God. Now look what it says. Who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our what? See, we think that if we'll trust God and we'll honor God with our wealth, that God's going to take it all and leave us with nothing. Well, if I give, I don't have anything to give to God. If I give God, I, I can't go to the movies. If I give to God, I can't go play golf. If I give to God, I can't have that basketball. If I give to God, the exact opposite is true. See, when we respond to God and honor God with our wealth, then God doesn't want to just get us through. He says, I'll give you everything you want for enjoyment. I will bless you. Now, how do we trust God? How do we motivate? How do we get Him working with us? Well, it's been the same way throughout all the Scripture. There's one way, and that's a tithe. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe, 10% in the storehouse. That's the church. That there may be food in my house. And he says, test me, it says, test the Lord and see if I will not pour out so much blessing that you will have not enough room for it. In other words, I'll give you everything for your enjoyment. He said, test me. It's the only place in the whole Bible that God says, test me. He says, trust me. See what I'll do. You put me, honor me with your wealth. See what I'm going to do in your life. Now, this is how it sometimes works. Malachi 3.11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if God were writing that in 21st century language, he would inspire it this way. I'll help your washing machine to go another year. I'll help that old car that you're driving to get through another couple years so you don't have to have car payments. I'll keep you from the doctor's office and the medical bills. See, we're always looking for what God is going to give us next. When the truth is, what's God preventing from happening to us, huh? That's where it's about. So he'll both give and he'll prevent. But what do we got to do? We got to be content first. And we got to be thankful for what we have. And then we, we need to trust God. And finally, we need to be charitable. If we want to get God working with us. 1 John three seventeen through 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. What are you saying? What motivates God is contentment expressed through thanksgiving. What motivates God and helps him to be working with us is trust. And it's also charity. See, God owns everything we have. God gives us the job that we have. God gives us every. It's all His. We're only stewards. We're managers of it. And when we relate to it properly, then God is free to bless us. And He wants us to be in third place. Him first. Others who are hurting second. Us last. Let me ask you, are you going to carry your financial bondage into another year? You don't have to. God doesn't want you to. You've got to wise up. 
you've got to embrace a new relationship with money. You've got to embrace a new relationship with materialism. House is built through knowledge, wisdom. Understand, you've got to build a budget. When you leave today, get one of those budget sheets. Start today. You'll be amazed to discover where your money's going. Power down your debt. Get rid of it. It's your enemy. It's our debt that keeps us in financial bondage. Save, invest. You who are young, do it. Start now. Start now. Do yourself a huge favor. Start now. You'll put a lot less in than those of us with some silver on the roof. Get God working with you. Solomon, who was the wisest man, God had given him extra wisdom, as you, if you know the story, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It was kind of at the end of his life, and he's, he's looking at life. And it's, the whole book starts out, life is meaningless. That's how he starts it out. And then he says this about wealth, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. He says, this too is meaningless. What's he saying? He's saying, you get on this merry-go-round of chasing money and you're never going to be satisfied. You'll never get off that merry-go-round. It'll just keep going round and round faster and faster and faster. It'll make you dizzy, but it won't let you go. Because it'll never be enough. Last raise you got, anybody go in the office and say, boss, great raise, thank you. Don't worry about me anymore. I don't need any more money. No, huh? When's the next one? How much is it going to be? We need a new relationship. We need to get off the merry-go-round. Or we're going to stay in financial bondage. Let's bow our heads. How about you today? Are you in financial bondage? I wish I could take away your financial hardship. I can't do that. But if you will follow these biblical principles that we looked at today, and every one of them were biblical principles, we supported them with Scripture, you can begin to break the bondage. You can begin to break the emotional hold that finance has on you and the spiritual and the physical hold. And it can start today. I hope you will. If you're here today, though, and you may be dealing with an even more grave type of bondage, you may be dealing with spiritual bondage. You're still living under the penalty of your own sinfulness in the sight of God. And your bondage has eternal consequences. How are you planning on getting to heaven? If the answer is anything but faith in Jesus Christ, you're in spiritual bondage. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sinfulness is death. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And how do we receive that eternal life? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you're living in spiritual bondage today, right now, wherever you're sitting, God is offering you a get-out-of-jail card. And all 
that you need to do to receive his forgiveness is put your faith in what he's already done for you through Jesus who died on the cross. Even now, just pray, God, I confess my sin to you. And God, I want forgiveness from you. And God, Jesus is the way for forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven. Jesus, be my Savior today. Pay my sin debt with the blood that you shed on the cross. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Now, that might seem very simplistic, but if it's sincere, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things I write unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. stand together let's sing that little chorus I surrender all or which one do you have sing it that you would die for me amazing love I know it's true it's my joy to honor you. Amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be? You my king would die for me. Amazing love. I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Yes, may that be true. Break out of the bondage. That's not where God wants you.